I love my church. And this morning, we're talking about unity in commitment. Commitment will cost you something. Commitment to your health is going to cost you something. It's going to mean that you're going to have to be sore, right? If you go to the gym, you're going to eat healthy. In order to be committed to my health, I am not going to have that eighth slice of pizza. Seven is enough. And, you know, there's other things. If I'm going to be committed to my spouse, she's the only one for me. I'm not going to be out looking around for other people. I'm not going to entertain things in my mind. A commitment is going to cost me something. Children, if you're going to be committed to the children, we're going to, you know, they're going to survive past two. And parents of two-year-olds, I promise you, it gets better eventually. It's, you make a commitment to them. You know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to have children. From a, from a dollar and cents point of view, it doesn't make sense. From a sleep deprivation point of view, it doesn't make sense. But why do we do it? Because we're committed to it and it's really worth it, isn't it? We are committed to our work. We're committed to God. And we certainly need to be committed to God. We're committed to our church and our church family. There's all these things and they cost us something. The overall and underlying theme of this entire series has been this statement. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. And the underlying theme of the series, we're digging deep into who we are, why we do what we do, looking for a biblical model to base it upon so that we can go and do the things that God wants us to do. So we can go high. We want to be the Christians that God wants us to be. We want to make the impact that he wants us to make. The word Christian is a very simple word. It simply means to be Christ-like. And many of us, we've heard that for year after year after year. And now we get to, I say get to, not have to, we get to start living that out, to be Christ-like. In your bulletin this morning, if you open, you have a, If you have a bulletin, inside of the bulletin, they have the message notes. We also have today's principle. And every week we have a principle. And the principle for today is this. It's on the screen. Jesus is committed to me. And he certainly has been committed to us. He came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life on earth, absolutely without sin. He died on a cross for your sin and for my sin, he rose again. And the Bible says even right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He's our go-between. When we pray, we pray in the authority of Jesus' name. So that's why often when I pray, and it's not just tradition, it's a constant reminder, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In other words, God, I'm praying to you. In what authority am I praying to you? It's only through Jesus. He's their only go-between. He is certainly committed to us. And because he's committed to me, I in turn can follow that example and follow that and be committed to him. When someone loves you and desperately loves you and cares for you, they're a lot easier to love in return, aren't they? There's other people that are a lot more difficult to love. I'm not going to make specific eye contact with anybody. But you know, some, when somebody loves you, it's easier to love them back. When my wife does things that are really loving to me, it makes it so much easier to say, Tammy, I love you. Yeah, and, and she does that like every day. And you don't laugh like it's true. 
when someone loves us, it's easier to love them back. Because of Jesus and his commitment and his love towards us, we in turn can easily love him in return. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Every Christian here today, people that are followers of Jesus Christ, if you place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible calls you a new creature. You are a Christian. You can now become and be live out to be um, Christ-like. We can be committed to four principles that we find in the book of Acts. And these, these principles all begin with the letter F, and they're on the screen for you to walk through them real quickly. We have committed Christian is, has fellowship, they have foresight, they are focused, and they are forgiving. Those are our four points we're going to walk through this morning. I'm, this is by no means a deep, exhaustive study, but what I want you this to do for you is to put into some boxes why we do what we do, and it's not just because it works or because it's pragmatic or because that's what church is supposed to look like. It's because we want to be committed to Jesus Christ and the things that he has for us. There's a statement here. Right thinking will lead to right action. Wrong thinking will lead to wrong action. You ever been really, really confused? And, but the problem is you've been thinking that you were right all along and you've been really adamant. And normally it's like three quarters of the way through a really good argument that I'm having with my wife or rather not an argument, a, a, a discussion with my wife. And then you, all of a sudden you realize, uh-oh, I'm actually wrong here. And how do you turn that conversation around to make, it, make her idea was really your idea in the beginning, and you can turn that around? I don't know how to do that. If you know how to do that, help me out. Because wrong thinking will always lead to wrong action. Sincerity does not guarantee right action. You didn't know this today, but you're, you came to church, and we're going to do a maths problem here at the church today. And this is not a trick, but I want you to think through this. And if you can do addition, and if you have fingers and toes, you may need to take your, your shoes off, fingers and toes, you can do this math problem. We're going to start off with this. Add these numbers together. Start with 1,000. Then add 40 to it. Then add another 1,000. Don't help anyone else. This is just for you. Okay? Now add 30. Add another 1,000. Add another 20. Add another 1,000. Add another 10. What's the total? Who, like me, said, it was really correct, and said 5,000? Be brave and raise your hand. Be brave, all of the rest of you liars. Raise your hand. You know what? I know you're smiling because some of you actually can add. What's the correct answer? Then it's 4,100. You know what's amazing is something in our brain messes up with the lines and everything else. And the rest of you who didn't raise the hand that are like going, huh? And trying to work it out right now. I did the same thing and I worked it out three times and I got it wrong three times. Because sincerity does not guarantee right action. That's a silly little example about the way that we think. And you can with all, and some of you raised your hand like you had 5,000 down and you're pretty proud of your answer. And it's not a trick. It's just the way our brain thinks and our brain works. 
And I believe if we put things into the correct boxes in our lives, in the way that we think about our relationship with God, the way that we look at our commitment to the things of God, I believe that we can be far more effective Christians in our commitment. Rather than just going through the motions, I want to do the things that God has told me to do in the right way. If you have your Bibles, open the book of Acts, chapter number 1. A little bit of background here. This is 40 days after Jesus has died and risen from the dead. He is 40 days later. He's, he has met with his disciples. He's taught them. He's, he's commissioned and begun the local church. And that now he is with his disciples and is about to leave them. And he gives them some final words. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. It says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's a pretty incredible thing. They've never seen anything like that ever before. Jesus had just told them, you're going to be witnesses for me, not just here at home. You're going to be witnesses for me next door and ultimately around the world. You're going to be witnesses for me. And then he goes up and he ascends up to heaven in a cloud. Now, if you're anything like me, when you see something that's absolutely amazing, you need a few moments to process that. And these people here, not just the disciples, I believe there's more there. They're sitting there, and quite literally, they see Jesus rising up into heaven, and I have no doubt there's some of them with their mouths wide open going, yeah. And you keep going in verse number 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as they went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes. Angels came and stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, these guys had just seen something absolutely remarkable. God sends angels to say, okay, guys, uh, close your mouths and get to work now. Go and do what I've told you to do. What they had seen was absolutely remarkable. They had seen Jesus before his crucifixion. They had witnessed him dying on the cross. They'd seen his dead body. They'd seen him risen from the dead. And now they had seen him rise up to heaven. And he said, I'm going to come back again. And the angel said, go and get to work and do what God, Jesus Christ, has told you to do. When we go through and we think about commitment, you think about what God has done for you in your life. What incredible things has God done in your individual life? Has he saved you from your sins? Has he given you new hope, new assurance? Has he given you peace in this life and peace for the future and life to come? Has he given you purpose in life? These are the things that he's done in your life personally. And we look at that and we think, this is what, because he's done this and he's committed to me, I can be committed to him. These four points of of commitment as Christians. The first one is fellowship. Going into the next chapter, chapter number two of the book of Acts. The day of Pentecost has just happened. They have baptized 
3,000 people on one day. The local church is in action and it's outgoing and moving and, and growing. And what are they doing as a local church? It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. Go down to verse number 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Breaking, breaking bread is they're eating together. See, when you outside, you're outside um, eating the cake outside after church, just say, I'm being biblical. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were doing daily life together. They were in fellowship with one another. Fellowship is more than just meeting together for a meal. Fellowship is doing all of life together. When you're up and you're, when you're down, when you have a problem, when you have a need, when there's someone else can be an encouragement to you, that's all part of fellowship. It's not just fellowship within the local church. One of the joys of being a Christian and being committed to the things of God is that we can join together with other Christians so that we can mutually build each other up. I've made statements in the past weeks about how we can accomplish so much more together. Our nation is in a crossroads right now with our religious freedom and the, and the freedoms that we currently enjoy. And there's, there's different, uh, in Tasmania, there's, there's incredible negative um, laws that have been passed in the last week in regards to our, our, our relationship with ourselves and who we are as our gender. Tomorrow, our parliament sits again, and they're going to be presented legislation to consider that could possibly diminish and take away many of the religious freedoms that local schools, or Christian schools, enjoy. And something we can do in fellowship together is that we can bring and come together as a local church, partnering together with other Christians and bringing petitions before God when it affects us all. And tomorrow morning, it's in your bulletin, but tomorrow um, between 8.45 and 3 p.m., pretty much all day tomorrow, the staff room, or rather the boardroom at Grace Christian School is going to be turned into a prayer room, and they're inviting people to come into the school and pray for our religious freedoms, pray for our leaders. And I invite you to come, spend some time, invest some time in prayer. And if you're not able to make it, invest some time in prayer, praying for God's hand to be in our, and on the hearts of our politicians as they make decisions that will affect us all. We can do that with fellowship. And we see that certainly in the first church in, the, in Jerusalem. They were fellowshipping together and living life together, praying together and growing together. Not only does a committed Christian have fellowship, a committed Christian also has foresight to see, the, in a sense, not just the future, but to see what the real needs are. To have the foresight to look through the circumstances and see what the real needs are. The next chapter, chapter number three of the book of Acts, you have two of Jesus' disciples who are now referred to as apostles of Jesus Christ. We have Peter and John. And Peter and John were going across and entering into the temple like they often did because the church was beginning to meet there. They probably were there many times a day. And they, they walked into the temple and they passed by a man who was lame. The Bible says the man was lame, unable to walk since his birth. And I have no doubt that he had been passed by millions of times by different people. 
and he'd been asking for an alm or asking, he's begging on the side of the road, will you please give me some money so I can buy something, buy some food? And Peter and John passed by him. And I don't know what made this day any different than any other day, but God did something miraculous in this man's life on this specific day. And in Acts chapter number 3, verses 6 through 8, it says this. This man had just asked for, for money from them. Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Stop right there. That's a really common answer, isn't it? I don't have any money with me right now. And it may, have, it may have been very true. I'm not saying that Peter was lying. It may have been very true. But he goes on and says, the foresight is, you don't just need money. Let me give you what you really need. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankle were, ankles were made strong. And he goes, goes from just, Walking, and then the next verse, in verse number 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This man went from being a man who was begging on the side of the road his entire life to a man who was now walking, leaping, and the last part is the real key, because it's all well and good to help someone physically but I believe the rest of the story is they helped him spiritually know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, they healed him. And I believe that Jesus Christ also saved him because he was praising God with them in the temple. And I have no doubt that he came to know Christ as his Savior also. A couple of things that we can recognize with foresight. First of all, he recognized, Peter and John recognized that man as an individual. He wasn't just part of the crowd. That's the first point there, an individual. You ever gone by a wheat field, or any field for that matter, and you see the field and it's swaying in the wind, and it looks like one, one big thing just moving in the wind. And as you look up closer, you realize that they're individual plants. And as you look up closer, there's individual grains of wheat on every single little stalk. You see, oftentimes we look at the crowds and we see the big crowds and we see the sea of faces and the sea of people and we forget that Jesus Christ loves the individual person. Peter and John saw the individual that day. They saw that one man that had that specific need. In John chapter number 4, verse 35, it says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for a harvest. Not only did they recognize the individual, they recognized the true need. They could have come along and given that man a great deal of money, which would have been a very good and generous and kind thing to do. And it would have helped him in the short term until that money ran out. And then he'd be right back where he was. What they gave him was not just the physical healing, which is incredibly important. They also gave him the spiritual healing. They recognized the need. And it says in verse number 8, that passage, and leaping up, he stood beside and began to walk and entering into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God because they recognized the need. We in, in our world, I believe that we as a local church need to be and should be incredibly generous. But we shouldn't be simply generous giving finances out or giving meals out or giving kind words out without backing it up with the gospel as well. 
That doesn't mean that we will only give if we have the opportunity to share the gospel. I mean is we're constantly looking for those opportunities to give. As I give, you know, I'm giving this because God loves you. I'm giving this to you, and as God opens up the door to share the good news of Jesus Christ, I believe we shouldn't just leave people with the financial gift or the meal or or the gift. We should go along and share the good news and have the foresight to see the practical as well as the spiritual need that people face. In a bit of transition here, Peter and John and the other apostles were leading this new church, and it was growing by the thousands. People were coming to know Christ as a Savior. They were leaving their old ways behind, and they were living a new way. And in the chapter number 4, we've gone from chapter 1 to 2 to 3, now we're in chapter 4. This really, really annoyed the religious leaders of the day. In fact, the Bible says in the English Standard Version, it says quite literally, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in, G- in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were, they were annoyed specifically, not that they were doing good things, not that they were gathering together, but they were, the religious leaders were annoyed that they were talking about Jesus. The next day, Peter and John, after healing this man and bringing him into the temple, they were brought before the high priest and the religious leaders. And they were charged by the high priest and the religious leaders to say, don't do this anymore. And you can imagine, these men are standing there. They're simple fishermen. They were, in a sense, uneducated, blue-collar workers. And then you have the highest of highs in the society, the religious leaders, who were incredibly well-educated. They knew the, the, the books of the law inside and out. They had memorized them. They knew them. And standing before them are two men who they would look upon as totally uneducated. They have no idea what they're doing. And what does it say in verse number 13? Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived. Now I'm sure it took them half a second to perceive they were uneducated men. They were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized what happened. That they had been with Jesus. As you go on into the next part of commitment. A committed Christian has focus. Peter and John and the other apostles were not well-educated people. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't know what, exactly what the future would hold. They knew it was going to cost them something, and they knew it was going to be difficult. And in going down into verse number 20 of that passage, we'll just read the underlined part. They were told by the religious leaders, stop preaching the gospel. And they said, in return, we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. They were focused in their obedience by simply, they said, we can only tell what we actually know to be true. God has called you to serve, then you better serve. If God has called you to give, you better give. If God has called you to go, you better go. If God has called you to share, you better share. Nothing more and certainly nothing less than what he has told you to do. And that's all these men had said. As far as their commitment level goes, they were just simply doing what they knew to be true. Can you relate to that? You can't do anything more than what God has called you to do. And certainly we shouldn't do anything less. You're only 
You, have, you think to yourself, well, I, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough information. I don't have enough education. I believe, firmly believe, that God has given you just enough resources, just enough time, just enough knowledge, just enough ability to do what He wants you to do. Therefore, it's up to us to act upon in our commitments to do what He has equipped us to do and given us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. There are many distractions in our faith. And I believe that we simply need to be systematic and go through and learn and to do the things that God has called us to do. In our focus, if we want to build a Lego house, then we have to follow the instructions. And one of the frustrating parts is if you start skipping steps in the instructions, you will never build the beautiful house you're supposed to build. Something will be missing. And therefore, with our focus, we must be focused upon the things that God wants us to learn and the things that God wants you to learn as an individual. I want you to stop and think for a few moments. Think about where you were. Maybe you can relate to that man who was lame, sitting on the side of the road, begging out, saying, God, I need something. I need you. I don't know what I need, but I need something. Maybe you can relate to some of the religious leaders when you think that you have all the answers and you think that this... Christianity is, is difficult, it's backwards, it's not the way that you've always been thinking. And you come along and you begin to focus upon the things that God has called you to focus upon. And you see in the Word of God the Bible and it begins to speak to you and change you. And I challenge you to just read through the New Testament, seeing what Jesus has called us to do specifically. And then as He to- tells you to do something, go out and do it. It's the most liberating way to live our lives. Not only are we called to fellowship and have foresight and have focus, we're also called to be forgiving. The key principle, this is a key principle, is that people will hurt you. Other people will disappoint you. And some of you are like, yes, I know. (laughs) Let me tell you about that guy. Someone in our local church, in our fellowship, may hurt you. They may disappoint you. Your spouse, I know if it's the other way around, I disappoint my wife often. You know, once a year or so. And, and in, in order to move forward in our relationship with one another, in order to move forward in our commitment, we must have forgiveness. We must be forgiving. One of the most difficult things, and it's, it's really hard things, is you ever visited somebody that hasn't seen you in a long time and they remember you as an annoying little kid that did that whatever it was as a kid? Um, there's a man who's in my dad's church who as a two-year-old back in the mid, early mid-80s, you know, back, in fact, it was the mid-80s, back when computers, you know, were not nearly as common as they were today, took and it was an all-in-one computer that had the keyboard attached to the computer. And he took an apple and used the, the, the keyboard as a grater into the, the keyboard. And my dad said, I almost killed that boy that day. And even today, let's see, 33 years later, dad will still bring up that story every so often when he sees that guy. I remember when you were two years old and you did that to my computer. I almost killed you that day. Good thing I forgave you. (laughs) You know, you meet people, they constantly bring up your past. We don't want that. 
I certainly don't want the mistakes of my past brought up year after year after year. I want to live in the forgiveness and the, the peace that I can enjoy in my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Are you, aren't you glad that God doesn't bring up all your mistakes year after year after year, reminding us? He doesn't do that. Satan does that, but certainly God does not do that. With forgiveness, we look at in chapter number 6, there's a man named Stephen. Stephen was a, a newly elected deacon of the church, some of the first deacons. His only crime was, as we see in verses 6 and 10, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was doing really good things with people. In verse number 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the, and the spirit with, with which he was speaking. They was brought before the high priest again. Another man brought before the high priest. And in chapter number 7, we encourage you, read it later at home. He preaches an incredible message, going through the history of, of Israel, right back from the, to the beginning, finishing up at Jesus. And I don't think he got to finish his sermon. Because in the middle of his sermon, people got so angry, they dragged him out of the city. Chapter number 7 of Acts. 50, verses 59 through 60, and it says, as they were stoning Stephen, in the middle of his sermon, and please, we don't want to emulate this today. In the middle of his sermon, the people were so angry with what they were hearing, they grabbed him, dragged him out of the city of Jerusalem, took huge stones, and began throwing them at him until he died. Now, I don't know about you, have you ever been hit by a pebble? It hurts. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever been hit by a boulder. I'm sure it hurts a great deal. The pain that he's experiencing as these people that are hating him to the point where I hate you so much I want you to die, hatred, stoning him to death. What was Stephen's response? In verses 59 through 60, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when they, he had said this, he fell asleep. That's a very nice way of saying they murdered him. My natural response, if you hurt me, is my natural response is I want to hurt you back more. And maybe your response is similar. He was quite literally living out Christ-like. When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed for his oppressors and asked God, to work in their lives. That's exactly what Stephen was doing here. He was being Christ-like. He was forgiving the people that did not deserve to be forgiven, people that weren't even asking to be forgiven. He says, God, will you not hold this against them? Maybe there's someone today that instantly comes to your mind when you think about someone that's hurt you. That person that comes to your mind and you think, maybe that's the person you need to forgive right now where you're seated in order to live out the commitment of Jesus Christ, of being the Christian that we are called to be. Maybe you need to take a moment and say, God, I want to be who you want me to be. I want to do the things that you want me to do, and therefore, will you please help me to forgive this person? Whether or not you're able to write now, go and talk to that person, is another thing, but I believe forgiveness begins in our heart of saying, I'm going to choose to forgive you despite your actions. I'm going to choose to love you whether or not you're asking for it or not. As a committed Christian, 
we're called to have fellowship, foresight, focus, and to be forgiving because Jesus Christ was forgiving to us. And those are our four points for today. When I was a teenager, I came across a verse in, in Acts chapter number 17. In Acts chapter 17, verse number 6, this is a passage that to me spoke heavily to me as a teenager, as a 16 and 17 year old. Because you, you, I was reading my Bible and I came across this passage. This is Paul and Silas on their missionary journey. And they come into a, a city and they had such a reputation, these people of the city said, oh no, they've come here too. And the, the phrases that they used was, these men who turned the world upside down have come here too. And it was like, oh no, what are we going to do? They're going to be turning our city upside down for Jesus Christ. And I remember reading that as a teenager thinking, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to turn the world upside down. I like that picture. It's quite confusing, but that's kind of how I see Australia. We're not at the bottom of the world. We're at the top of the world. We as Christians, through Jesus Christ working in us and through us, are turning the world upside down for individual people's lives. Through your missions giving, there are people in Vanuatu whose world has been quite literally turned upside down. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what two generations ago, they were cannibals. Now they're singing praises to God in hymns in their own language, singing praises to the same God that we were singing praises to today. Their world has been turned upside down. I believe it begins by saying, God, will you save me from my sins? Will you, I will accept your free gift of salvation and then begin living and doing the things that he has called you to do as an individual. I have three questions for you this morning and then we'll close. First of all, and this is an important question for every single person to ask, and if you've done this, this is a celebration. The first question is this. Have you received God's gift of salvation? In other words, are you a Christian? Are you the first point in order to be Christ-like is have you placed your trust upon Him as Savior? If you have not done that today, no greater joy would be than to take the Word of God, the Bible, and to show you out of the Bible how you can have a relationship with God today. I have nothing better to do today. That would be great. We'll take you off to the side. We'll show you out of God's Word. The second question is, in which of the four areas of commitment will you, it says, will you ask God to help you? Which of the four areas will you ask God to help you? Do you need help in focus? Do you need help in forgiveness and foresight? What area do you need help with? Will you ask God, say, God, will you come alongside me? Will you help me with this? And the final question is, will you ask God to show you in which area of, of commitment you need to grow? Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, mm, I'm pretty good. I've got all those things taken care of. Great. That's wonderful. Will you ask God to help you to continue to grow? Will you ask God to say, show me what you want me to do? Will you work in my life? Clean me out where I need to be clean. Grow me where you need to, be, to grow so that I can love your church as it is my church. Let's pray together. And as I pray, maybe God's brought something to your mind here today that you can pray silently along with us. And then we'll sing a song of, of closing this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you have given us examples in your word what the local church is supposed to look like. Thank you for the, the, the commitment that you have for us by sending your son Jesus to come and 
die on the cross for our sins. Give us life not just for now, but for eternity in heaven with you, Lord. And because of your love and your commitment for us, Lord, we want to in turn have commitment and love towards you. And we know that our love towards you looks like loving others. It looks like putting you first. It looks like sharing the gospel when it's not always convenient. And Lord, I pray that as we go out, that we will live lives that are closer to you, more Christ-like in every area of our lives. And in Jesus' name, amen.